Hey, we're going to start a, finally, finally, we're going to start a brand new sermon series today. We, it took us forever with everything that went on with me to get through the faith boosters, but we're going to start a, a new series today, and it's uh, the book of Judges. The book of Judges, and uh, we'll be in chapter one mostly today, <clears throat> a little bit in chapter two as well. Uh, so let's, let's, get, let's get excited about studying this great Old Testament book. I know I'm excited about it. Uh, most of you have probably attempted to uh, paint the windows in your house, right? Uh, uh, probably not all of you, but a lot of you probably have tried to paint the windows in your house. In particular, I'm talking about uh, those older windows with the wooden uh, uh, frames that hold the glass in that look something like, like this here. Uh, I, I looked that up, and, and those wooden frames are called muntins, muntins, uh, which is kind of strange, but... Uh, uh, that's uh, those little slats in the middle of the glass. Uh, now, I'm not talking about these more modern vinyl windows that uh, you might have in your house that, that don't have wooden frames. You don't paint them anyway. Uh, but if you've ever had, if you have one of these types of windows in your home and you've ever painted them, uh, let me ask you, what kind of window painter are you? There's, there's basically three kinds. There's three kinds. Are you a taper? Are you a taper? I got some shaking heads out there. Now, someone who tries to tape the blue tape, you know, you tape around each window pane so you don't get the paint on the glass, right? A few of you are painters or tapers. Are you a trimmer? I know Daryl's a trimmer probably, but uh, uh, someone who tries to paint each frame without tape and without getting paint on the glass. Now, this one takes a little skill. You've got to have a little skill behind you and a little experience. Uh, but if, you, if you've got the skill and you can do that, it saves a lot of time because you don't have to spend all that time putting the tape on the glass, which in, in my experience doesn't work that well anyway. <clears throat> uh, or are you a scraper? A scraper. Now, a scraper is someone who just throws up the paint on the, on the frames <clears throat> wherever it goes, and, and you just don't worry about whether it gets on the glass or not because you have a plan. You have a plan. Later, you're going to go back and scrape the paint off with a razor blade. Okay, so which are you? Which are you? Now, I'm a trimmer. Uh, I, through the years, I've, I've learned to paint pretty well. Uh, I can put paint pretty much anywhere. If I got a nice, uh, pretty brand brush, I can put a, 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 a paint wherever it needs to go. Um, uh, there's a couple of things in my life that I can do well. I can type with two fingers really good, <clears throat> really fast, uh, and I'm pretty good at painting. No tape, no scraping for me. I'm a trimmer. Now, I discovered over the last couple of years that my sister is a scraper. She's a scraper, or at least that was her intentions to be a scraper. Uh, a couple of years ago, Jack and I, as, as many of you know, took over my grandparents' 100-year-old home place down near Bellhaven, and we've been trying to do, make some needed repairs here and there on electrical and plumbing and structural, and we've also been trying to do some painting uh, as we go along, uh, both outside and inside. Now, my sister had, before we lived, we took over the house, we, my sister had been living there for 12 years. And when my mom died, she died. When my mom died, she uh, has recently moved into my mom's home to be closer to her son. So Jackie and I have taken over the, the old home place. But while my sister lived there in the house, she did some painting too. 
In fact, she painted everything in that house, including all of the windows. Now, it didn't take me long to discover that my sister is a scraper. Is there a picture for that? There it is. Okay. There it is. Okay. My sister is a scraper, or at least that was her plan. Uh, this is a picture of, of one of the many, many, many windows down there, and the, they all look just like this. <clears throat> you know, her idea was, I'm not going to worry about trying to tape. I'm not going to worry about trying to trim. I'm just going to slap the paint on, and I'll go back later and scrape it off. But here's the thing about scrapers. They never go back often and finish the job. They have good intentions, but they don't go back and finish the job. Uh, they never go back and scrape the paint off. Many scrapers don't. Maybe you're a scraper and you do. Every window in this house was painted, and every window has paint all over the glass just like this. <laughs> so uh, as I'm repainting, uh, I'm, I'm also having to scrape all of my sister's paint off, too, which is an added step in the process. It's amazing how much better, too, that the windows look when all the paint is off of the glass and the job is completely finished. When it comes to window painting, some scrapers never finish the job. It's, it's, it's not done until all the paint is removed from the glass, and that makes all the difference in the world in how the window looks. You know, we've probably all set out to do a job and maybe got it mostly done, but because we got tired or because uh, we were distracted or delayed or maybe we ran out of money or maybe we ran out of time or maybe we just lost interest in whatever job we were doing, uh, we didn't finish it. We didn't finish it. We mowed the grass, but we didn't do the trim work. <laughs> you know, it looks okay when you mow the grass, but it's not really done until you do the trim work. We started the dishwasher, but we didn't unload it when it was done. And so now you got more dirty dishes, and it's like, oh, I got to get these back in the cabinet. Um, we washed the car, but we didn't vacuum the inside. Looks great on the outside, but there's still uh, old French fries and, and toys uh, down in the back seat. This same pattern can also happen in more serious areas of our lives. We, we were one semester short of earning that degree, but we just never got back and finished it. We attended four sessions of that marriage enrichment class that they had at church, hoping to become a better spouse, but we missed the last three, which everybody said were the most important ones. We didn't finish it. I started my walk with Jesus when I accepted him as my Savior, and I planned to get more involved in ministry and share my faith at work, but, but life got in the way, and I just, I just never got beyond that initial acceptance of Jesus as my Savior. I never grew beyond that. I, I think we would all agree that, that a job isn't done until it's done. But we also know that when life happens, sometimes we, sometimes we fail to get a job done. And that may be okay for some things, like leaving paint on the windows. But in other things, failure to finish can really harm us. Failure to finish can harm us, especially in our relationships. The nation of Israel had been freed from one, 
of, of hundreds of years of slavery at the hands of the Egyptians. God rescued them from slavery, and he led them to the brink of their brand new home, Canaan, their promised land, the land that God had promised Abraham that his descendants would inherit one day. And all they had to do, all they had to do was just go in and just take it. It was theirs. It was occupied from, by some pretty bad people, uh, some pretty bad cultures like the, the Philistines and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Amalekites and a bunch of other ites uh, all lived there in Canaan. The Canaan was a land that was filled with lots of kingdoms, uh, and each kingdom had their own king and their own laws and their own military. There was no central government or or a central ruler in the land of Canaan at that time. Rather, it was made up of many governments, both small and large. One thing that they all had in common, though, is that they were all pagans. In other words, they were polytheists, meaning they worshipped many false gods, gods that did not exist except in their minds. They worshipped gods like Baal, the god of of the storm and fertility of the land, and Ashtaroth, the female moon goddess. These gods were created by the people, and so they became like the people. They were selfish and sinful and cruel, abusive and immoral, and, or at least that's how they were perceived in the people's minds since they didn't actually exist. Here's the deal with God. The Israel, and, and the Israelites and the promised land. This land was Israel's for the taking. All they had to do was march in, attack, and no matter how powerful the enemy was or how weak they were militarily, God would give them the victory. It was a guaranteed win for Israel. You know, in life, we don't get too many guaranteed wins, do we? You know, we get a lot of projected wins and likely wins and hopeful wins, uh, but guaranteed wins in life are rare, especially when it comes to sports. Uh, I'm a, a, a part of a fantasy football league with my family, and, uh, and a couple of weeks ago, I was playing my grandson up against my grandson, Silas. And according to the ESPN Fantasy Football League, he was projected to win by about 10 points. Um, but when it was all said and done and when all the players had played and, and we both got all of our scores, I, I blew him out of the water. <clears throat> that projected win was no good, uh, you know, because guaranteed wins are rare. But there's one place that we can know that we will always win. We have a guaranteed win, and that is in our relationship with God. Listen to the second verse of the book of Judges. The Lord answered, Judah shall go up. I have given the land into their hands. <clears throat> you know, Judah was, was tasked to go, and we'll look at it in just a few moments, to go and be the first ones to, to, take, uh, to take on the Canaanites after Joshua, their leader, had died. And God said to Judah, you go up. Because I have, not I might or I will or hopefully or maybe, I've already given it to you. Even though you haven't fought the first battle yet, it's already yours. It's guaranteed. So as Israel stood outside the promised land, 
uh, back when, after the first time after they had been freed from slavery. Uh, you remember the story, maybe. They sent in 12 spies to, to uh, scope things out. We read about that in Numbers chapter 13. And when these 12 spies came back uh, to report what they saw, 10 of the 12 spies reported that the people of Canaan were just too powerful. You know, even though God had promised them the land and, and the victory, guaranteed these 10 spies says, no, there's no way. These people are too big. They're too powerful. They're too large. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, understood God's promise. Uh, and they had no doubt in their minds at all that they could take the land, but their voices were outshouted. And the people did not advance to take the land. And God was angry at them because of their lack of faith. Even though they, they, they had witnessed you know, victory after victory after victory as, as they, they saw the ten plagues come on the Egyptians and as they saw the sea parted and they walked across on dry land and then it crashed in and destroyed the Egyptian army. They saw God give them the law uh, on Mount Sinai through Moses. They saw so many things, so many wonders as after they were released from slavery. But even so, they refused to trust him that God would give them another victory in Canaan. Even though he promised, even though he guaranteed a win. So God punished them by making them wander in the desert for 40 years. Long enough for that whole adult generation, uh, those who didn't trust him to go in, long enough for all of them to die. And the only ones left of that generation were Joshua and Caleb, the two spies that did have faith. And then with a whole new group of people, God was now ready. Let's try this again, guys. Let's try this again. So led by Joshua, who was their leader now, who had taken over after Moses died, Israel did go into Canaan. And this time they took control of it. No surprise. No surprise. They took the cities of Jericho and Ai and Gibeon and Makeda and Eglon, Hebron, Debir. Any city they came upon, they took it. Israel established a firm stronghold, a firm foothold in the land. And it was very apparent that to all the surrounding kingdoms that God was giving Israel whatever they wanted. Israel was being victorious as they were led by Joshua. Now, they weren't perfect. As you read through some of this, those uh, early battles, they, they made some mistakes here and there. Um, but as long as Joshua was there to lead them and keep them in course, on course and keep them focused, they continued to win. They continued to make progress. The key to their continued victories was uh, God promised to be with them as long as they were faithful to him. That was the key. And this was a, a basic general rule from God that, that re, we read in passages like Deuteronomy 7, verse 12. If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you as he swore to your ancestors. That's just one. You remain faithful to me, Israel. I'll be faithful to you. If you obey my commands, if you put your faith and trust in me, I will bless you guaranteed but if you don't trust me and if you don't obey me 
There are no guarantees. There are no guarantees. Israel trusted God and obeyed his commands. And under Joshua's leadership, God gave them victory. But then a very important, inevitable thing happened. Joshua died. Now what? Now what? God was giving them victory, but the victory was not really complete yet. There was a long way to go in this battle to take Canaan. They had defeated several of the key enemies and established their presence, their foothold in the land, but there was still a lot more fighting for the Israelites to do before victory was complete. It was sort of like in World War II. Um, when the Allies landed uh, in, in Normandy and France and, and other Allies had, had landed uh, from Italy, from that direction, uh, the Allies were in the country. They had established their foothold in Europe, but the battle wasn't done yet. There was still more fighting to do to defeat the Nazis. And the same was true here. Joshua had led the people and, and got a strong foothold in the land, but there was still more fighting to do. Joshua had been a great, faithful, godly leader who did a good job of trying to keep Israel focused on, on serving God. And, and, and remember what Joshua said to the people. We read back in the book of Joshua, chapter 24, verse 15 through 16. Joshua said, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served before the Euphrates, beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, Joshua said, we will serve the Lord. That's the kind of leader Joshua was. He didn't mess around. He didn't go halfway. He said, look, I'm serving the Lord. I don't know what you're going to do. I, me and my family, we're serving the Lord. And by his motivation and his leadership, this was the response of the people. The people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. When Joshua was in charge, they stayed on track. But now Joshua's dead. This godly, strong leader is gone. Now what? Now what? Well, the first reaction from Israel was pretty good. Uh, if you go to Judges chapter 1, verse 1, it says, After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, Who of us is to go up first to fight against the Canaanites? You know, it looks like there was enough of Joshua's wisdom just hanging on there after Joshua died. There were still some of the elders in his circle that were still alive at the time. Uh, there was still enough wisdom lingering that they actually did the right thing at first. They went to God for guidance to ask, what, what should we do? And God was cleared with the, his instructions. Verse 2 again that we read earlier. The Lord answered, Judah shall go up. I have given the land into their hands. So that's what they did. Uh, they, they continued their request, their, their, uh, their conquest of Canaan. Uh, and so Judah, with the help of the Simeonites, or, or people from the tribe of Simeon, the, they defeated this next battle, the Canaanites. They defeated the Perizzites that still lived in their allotted land. You see, they divided the, the, the promised land up into different, 12 different sections, and each tribe had their own little territory. And Judah was going in to take their territory with the help of the Simeonites. Uh, and they defeated them. 
they defeated the people of Zephyr, totally destroying that city. And things were going pretty well at first after Joshua's death. God was giving them victory until a pattern started developing with these victories. Let's read verse 19 through 21 of Judges chapter 1. The Lord was with the men of Judah. They took possession of the hill country, but they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had chariots fitted with iron. As Moses had promised, Hebron was given to Caleb, who drove from it the three sons of Anak. The Benjamites, however, did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem to this day. The Jebusites live there with the Benjamites. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? Israel won the battles at, at, at this point, but the defeated pagan people that lived there, that they defeated, just stayed there just continued living in the land. Now, some still maintain uh, some, some military. Some of them had some iron chariots that they were worried about. But others just continued to live in the land, like uh, those Jebusites who just hung around in Jerusalem and lived alongside of the Benjamites. Now, what's the problem with that? Why can't we just all get along and live together? Well, without godly, strong leadership... Israel began to develop a misunderstood idea of what God wanted when they defeated their enemies in Canaan. Uh, they misunderstood what a complete finished job was, what a complete victory was, the kind of victory God wanted from them. Their idea was defeat and subdue the army, step number one, take control of the land, and then just let the defeated enemy just live there. Just hang around, remain. And that sounds reasonable, right? You know, you know, hey, we're in control now, folks. We'll let you live here. Just don't forget who's in control, all right? All right, go about your business. But that was not what God meant by victory in Canaan. Victory in Canaan to God uh, was not only defeating the enemy's armies. No, victory to God was after they're defeated, drive all of them out of the land, completely out. To God, the job was not done until all the pagans were eliminated, all their, their temples and their idols and the people all of them out of there, either by killing them or by driving them out of the land, out of Canaan. The job was not finished until all the, the pagans were completely gone. So a pattern began to develop. God helped them defeat the armies of the Canaanites, but then they stopped short of victory, of finishing. Instead of eliminating them, they tolerated them. Judges 1, 27 through 30. But Manasseh did not drive out the people of Bethshan or Tanakh or Dor or Eliam or Megadu and the surrounding settlements. But the Canaanites were determined to live in that land. When Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but never drove them out completely. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer. 
But the Canaanites continued to live there among them. Neither did Zebulun drive out the Canaanites living in Kitron or Nehalol. So these Canaanites lived among them, but Zebulun did not sub- did subject them to forced labor. You know, as you read through, this is just the first uh, of several verses in chapter 1. As you read through the rest of chapter 1, you see this same pattern uh, happen over and over and over again for every single one of the tribes of Israel as they would go into their territory to conquer it. They defeated them, but then they let them stay. Now, as you saw with the tribe of Zebulun, at first uh, they just let them go, you know, they, they didn't just let them go about their business. Uh, they did subject them to enslavement. You know, they put them to work, uh, which you might think, well, that's a good thing, right? I mean, um, enslave the pagans. That'll show them. That'll show them. But there's two problems with that. First, that's not what God told them to do. God never said, defeat them, and if you want to, you can make slaves out of them. That was never a part of God's plan. God wanted their pagan temples and their idols, everything destroyed, and they wanted the people out of there, either dead or out of there. And secondly, God knew that as long as the Canaanites were allowed to stay in the land, eventually their pagan influences would begin to rub off on the Israelites. Now, as crazy as that might have sounded to the Israelites at first, you know, when they probably, when they heard that, well, we're going to start worshiping Baal. <laughs> that would never happen. Are you crazy? You know we'd never do that. But as crazy as it might have sounded to them at first, that's exactly what they did. It wasn't long before they, too, started worshiping Baal in the Ashtaroths. They, they might claim even then that they, well, we still worship you, God. We, in fact, in fact you're, you're the most important God. You're the main God even though we do worship these other gods. But you know what? Here's, here's a great truth about our God. God has no desire to be the most powerful God among many gods. No, no. God wants to be the only God. The only God. And that's all he would accept. Nothing more, nothing less. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make a, co- you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their idols. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I have also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you, and their gods will become snares to you. So as God often did with Israel, he then intentionally allowed the Canaanites to be a thorn for the Israelites. And as we read through the book of Judges, we see that they, they indeed were a thorn to them. Without godly leadership, Israel was in trouble for these slaves. They'd eventually not be slaves anymore. They'd be released. And then they'd just be neighbors. And then they'd be their wives and their husbands. And then before you know it, the Israelites would be holding chicken dinner banquets to raise money for the Baal Child Sacrifice Foundation. 
And eventually the Canaanites would conquer them. Would conquer them. Let's look at verse 11 through 15. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. There they go. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreth. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he swore to them. They were in great distress. It was at this point, after this series of events of of them falling and worshiping and stumbling over them themselves because they had no leader. It was finally at this point that God decided to step in, as he often had to do with Israel, to see if he could get them back on track. The one thing they lacked was leadership. Leadership. After Joshua died, no one stepped in to take his place, and that's when things just started to spiral out of control. Without godly leadership, it's difficult for the people to remain faithful. And the Israelites proved this over and over and over again. So, verse 16, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. God sent judges, men and a woman, to lead them. And as long as the judge lived, as we work our way through this book, as long as the judge is alive then things are better. The people reformed some. Uh, They still were were difficult to work with sometimes. They still made a lot of mistakes. But as long as the judge lived, uh, God was with them again. But as soon as the judge died, every time, as soon as the judge died, Israel went right back. They couldn't get back to Baal worship fast enough and the sinful lifestyles of the pagans. The rest of the book of Judges will be the story of the ups and downs of Israel's walk with God as God sends them judges. Next week, we'll, we'll, and the following weeks after that, we'll start looking at judges like Othniel and Ehud, Deborah, Gideon, and Samson and others. How will God use them to try to get back Israel back on a godly course. In the meantime, as we look at what we talked about today, what are some take-homes for us today uh, from this story? The mess that Israel made, what is something that we could apply to our lives today? Well, we probably could think of a bunch of things, uh, but I've got two. I've got two things, two take-homes for us. The first one is this, It should be every follower of Jesus' goal in life to successfully finish the job. Finish the job. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8 this, talking about his own life. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. 
the goal of Paul in his life as a follower of Jesus was to finish the race and be faithful to the very end. The goal of every follower of Jesus is the very same thing. Till the day I die, I will remain faithful to you, God, no matter what. Because of what Jesus did for me on the cross, I will make him the Lord of my life, God. That's my promise to you. Till the day I die, he'll be the Lord of my life. Meaning, my life revolves around you, God. Everything I do uh, is going to be done for your glory, God. Whether it's at work or at home or, or the time and the money that I spend, whatever I do for your glory, that's my goal every day when I wake up. I don't belong to me anymore, God. I belong to you. What do you want from me? He bought me with his life. My life is yours. So many Christians fail to finish in their walk with God. They, they accept Jesus as their Savior. They, they embrace and welcome the forgiveness of their sins. That's wonderful. But then they spend the rest of their lives serving themselves, not God. So, Finishing the job means every day I wake up and I decide to follow the royal law that we talked about Wednesday night, if you were here in our study of the book of James. What's the royal law? Today, I will seek to love God supremely and love others selflessly. That's my goal today, to love the Lord my God with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. If we do that every part of our day, we will finish the race. So let's decide ourselves uh, uh, to, to be able to say, as, as Paul did, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith until the day I die. The second take home, I think, from the story today is this. We learn from Israel that if we want to uh, successfully finish the job, we all need godly leadership to help us stay focused. You know, and every Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, every Christian has a fantastic, wonderful leader living inside of you. Great passage in uh, the book of Galatians. The apostle Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia, chapter 5, verse 16 through 25. Let's read that. Paul writes, So I say, walk by the Spirit... And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are, are very obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. All right, so that's what uh, happens when we are not following leadership and when we're doing whatever we want to do. But then Paul reminds us what, what, what can happen if we do allow the Holy Spirit to guide us in life. 
The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So since we live by the Spirit, since we are led by the Spirit that lives inside of us, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's how we finish the job, by keeping in step with the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, at your baptism, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit is, is inside of you, and he's not just riding around enjoying the scenery. That's not why he's there. No, he's there. His purpose is to guide us and give us strength, help us make right choices, help us resist the flesh. Israel was success, successful when they had a godly leader who kept them focused on God's will, like Joshua. They could never keep it together, though, without a godly leader. They always failed every time. Folks, you and I are the very same way, the very same way as the Israelites. We don't need to point our finger at them and say, oh, oh, you people are just so, so terrible. You know, we, we, we need to remember we're just like them in so many ways. It is impossible for us to keep Jesus, the Lord of our lives, and successfully finish the race without the leadership of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Without his strength and guidance, we will fail to finish. But with his strength and with his guidance, guess what? The victory is guaranteed. Don't think you can do it on your own because you can't. You and I need the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So let's yield our lives to him every day, and we will be victorious. With his help, we will not fail to finish. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this great story in the Old Testament of, of the failure, really, of Israel. Uh, Lord, you know, we, like, we like to see good things that happen um, when, when we read the Bible and how people were faithful and they did the right thing. But we often see in God's word, in your word, that uh, we're often looking at people that are just like us, that make bad decisions, that, that choose the wrong path. Uh, and, and help us to not just look at that and, and, and chuckle and marvel and think that's interesting, but help us to look at stories like Israel and think, I don't want to be like that. Help me not to be like that, Lord. And in order for that to happen, Lord, we, we need your leadership. We need your guidance. We need to will, willingly yield our lives to you. And so, Father, I just pray that each of us, if we're not a Christian, if there's somebody here today that's not a Christian yet, uh, I pray that they'll accept your son as their savior, receive the forgiveness of your, their sins, and then receive the Holy Spirit to come live inside and guide them. And for those of us who are already followers, Lord, help us to wake up every day and say, Holy Spirit, my life is yours. Please show me where to go. Give me the choices that I need to make. Help me to follow your word. Uh, Father, I thank you, Father, for this time together. Uh, be with us as we uh, seek every day uh, to win the race. In Christ's name.